I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. G'day legends. Thanks for joining us once again on the Rugby League Guru podcast. Rod Wishart's going to join me today to take us through his best 1-13, to 13, his dream team. Rod picked his team entirely from guys that he played with. So he made his debut in 1989, played all the way through to 1999. Of course, the last game of his career was for the St. George Illawarra Dragons losing to the Melbourne Storm in the 1999 Grand Final. His first grade debut was for the Illawarra Steelers against the St. George Dragons. And of course, this week, over the, over the last few weeks, actually, his son Tyron has, of course, signed with the Melbourne Storm. So it's funny how these little things work in rugby league. This is an unreal chat where Rod takes us through his career, starting very humble beginnings in the south coast town of Gerringong, working his way through, sort of following in the footsteps of the great Mick Cronin, another Gerringong local. An unreal story, makes his debut boo in 89 he's playing origin just a year later so a crazy story an unbelievable career a great goal kicker a great try scorer an unreal footballer rod wishart guys if you're enjoying this podcast make sure you leave a review on your podcast app give it a share on your instagram page tag me at rugby league guru so i can share it just so we can spread the podcast out to more people really working on expanding my network and expanding this brilliant community that we've already got on the rugby league guru podcast thanks for your support as always guys let's kick it off. Down the block, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by the great man out of Gerringong, Rod Wishard. Welcome on, mate. Good to be really good. Um, we're in lockdown here, so it's um, giving me something, something to, uh, to do, mate. So it's great. Now, mate, we, we spoke before we hit record, and obviously uh, I've got a, a caravan down there in Gerringong, and as much as you're in lockdown, I know where I'd rather be, in my shoes or in yours. It's an unreal spot of the world, isn't it? It is beautiful, mate. We're pretty lucky. We, we try not to take it for granted. It's not too far away from Sydney. It's, um, it's only an hour and a half down the road, as you know. And uh, if you're going to be in lockdown, it's not a bad place to be. But, um, um, yeah, how long have you had your place down in Wherry, mate? Uh, only about two years. So uh, it's been a bit of an unfortunate two years to have it realistically. But when we do sneak down there, we absolutely love it. That uh, that bowling club certainly gets a workout. Kind of the world, mate. Oh, it's beautiful, mate. It's sensational. Uh, now, mate, obviously a Gerringong local yourself. Uh, tell me, what did Mick Cronin mean to you when you were growing up? Oh, look, growing up in Gerringong, really, uh, when Mick was playing and I was a kid, it, uh, and he lived he lived always in Gerringong as well. He always travelled up to Parramatta and the roads up to Parramatta back in those days weren't good. So it was a two, two and a half hour trip every time for Mick. But he still continued to live in Gerringong and he still supported the, um, the juniors at, um, uh, at Gerringong Footy Club as well. So we always sort of saw, saw him around a little bit. And for a, for a kid playing uh, rugby league, but even a kid playing sport, to have a, uh, an Australian uh, representative um, and to play for Parramatta in the NRL, the ARL at that stage, uh, was, uh, was a, a great inspiration. So 
it, uh, it helps people um, in, uh, inspire people to, um, to to reach for the bigger and better things. So, and eventually, as, as time went on, he, um, and I got a little bit older, he, and he finished his career. He coached at uh, at Jerringong as well. So, uh, I played under Mick, uh, playing for Jerringong. Uh, I was 18, 19, and um, we made a couple of grand finals. We uh, we lost both, of them, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, and then the following year, I went up to the Illawarra Spurs. Um, for me to be uh, coached and, and for anyone else uh, here at Jerringong that was, uh, was coached by Mick was, uh, was just a fantastic opportunity. Um, he's a, he, he loves the game and he had some great mentors. Uh, he'll always mention Jack Gibson. Um, and, and yeah, it was just such a, a big honour to be um, uh, being involved with, uh, with Mick. And, of course, mate, for some of our younger listeners that might not know the history of Mick Cronin's career, I mean... Uh, one of the best players in the country, let alone one of the best players in the Parramatta Eels side, which was an absolute juggernaut at the time. The last team to win three premierships in a row. It hasn't been done since. Uh, as you said, an incredible role model and idol to have. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's, uh, he's got the pub here. He's, uh, he's uh, so humble and he's, uh, his knowledge in the game and, and even the, the work that he, he continues to do with the Jerringong uh, Rugby League Football Club, he, he's never forgotten uh, where he's come from, and um, uh, and for the for the kids that um, don't really remember, Mick Cronin played for Jerringong for two years, playing just in the country rugby league, but he he was picked in the Australian side. So these days, uh, you, you you have to basically play NRL uh, to be uh, considered to be an Australian side. But uh, Mick didn't really want to um, go up to Sydney. He was happy playing for Jerringong. And, but he was that good that they, they picked him to play um, when he was playing for Jerringong. So that, that'll never happen again. And uh, eventually, the, uh, oh, there was a lot of clubs that were after him and, um, and Parramatta. And he was an honourable sort of bloke. I think um, Parramatta was the first to approach him. He said, well, if you ever go to Sydney, I'll, I'll go to you guys. And, um, and I, I think he got um, dangled a lot of carrot. But he stayed true to his word. He played for Parramatta. And as I said, he, he drove... Um, long um, distances to go to train and everything, and and you look back at his career, is uh, you know there'd be, there's so many so many players that have probably missed being an immortal, but I think he's got to be right up there, mate. Oh, mate, without a doubt, and I guess obviously himself being an outside back, obviously had similarities to yourself, but. Mate, also one of the best goal kickers we've ever seen. So another similarity that that you guys had. Yeah, yeah, that's true, but. Um, it was really difficult when I was um, um, back in the day. Co-taking like Mick was um, it was wasn't easy, and the balls back in our days too, they were leather, they were quite uh, heavy at the time. So co-taking your ball over the bar at um, uh, you know at, um, eight or ten years old years of age it wasn't easy. So then uh, on TV we started to see these guys start to kick around the corner, and I think oh well we we better start looking at doing something like that. And then I, that progressed with with my goal kicking, and um, that was um, it was always good to get some tips off uh, off Nick uh, or anyone else for uh, for goal kicking for that matter, and um, and it was end up being a, uh, you know, a decent sort of part of my game. Mate, it must have been a really interesting time. Obviously, you came along during that transition from the toe poking to around the corner. I imagine there must have been a fair whack of coaches and everything that sort of would have been against the around the corner to start with. Yeah, well, it's funny. It's, 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 tradition um, was uh, was part of the game. There, yeah, you, you've got to kick, you know, like like the yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a culture change. But then before you before you know it, um, you're getting a lot more distance. You're getting a lot more um, uh, height, particularly when you're younger. And uh, and then uh, as it progressed as well. I mean, we used to stand it up quite straight. But now you're sort of uh, leaning it um, um, over a little bit. So they, I guess, uh, sports science coming into it and aerodynamics and all this sort of stuff. But I think above all, it, it becomes uh, more practice than anything else. And even when I uh, went up to the Illawarra Steelers um, back and think, why would why not practice a lot more? You know, why why weren't we forced to uh, practice a little bit more? It was more get to training. Um, you know, ten or fifteen minutes early. Have a few kicks from the sideline. As time progressed, um, yeah, it did. 
become a little bit more part of our game, to be uh, a little bit more conscious of, um, of training for your goal kicking. And, um, and that's how uh, the game progresses. It's become a lot more professional. And uh, through the 90s, uh, there was a massive amount of changes. So I started in 89 and finished in 99. And Super League in the middle and, and became um, semi-professional to full, full-time professional. So there were a lot of changes in the, in the period that I played. I'm just imagining off the top of my head, obviously, you practising your around-the-corner style on Mick Cronin Oval in Gerringong. It must have raised a couple of eyebrows. It would have, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, at the end of the day, <laughs> results, um, uh, you know, speak themselves. But, uh, but you go up to Mick Cronin Oval now, and uh, and Gerringong is only a small place. And, uh, and, the, and the bar is, is really set up high, not just in rugby league, uh, in sport in general for uh, uh, for Jeringa. and I think a, a lot of it is triggered by by Mick and I, I guess and everyone just uh, expectations are quite high and when you go to train you train hard and you, and you do everything at a high level and um, and we're lucky to um, um, to being able to produce a, a quite a few sports people out of out of Jeringa. and I think it's just and I think Mick can probably take a little bit of credit for that because uh, like I said before it's an inspiring sort of thing to have a, a guy like Mick. In, in a, uh, a small country town like like Jerringong, and stay there and, and be there and be part of your presentations and just um, just inspire people. And mate, for those that haven't been to Jerringong, I mean, you know, you can drive through the entire town in about five or six minutes for it to produce as many first graders as it has. Like I'm, I'm not even sure in other sports, but in rugby league, you've obviously got the Sims boys. I believe Jackson Ford's a Jerringong local, and of course, your young bloke, he's just signed with the Melbourne Storm. Pretty exciting times there. Oh, there it is. Um, yeah, Tyron uh, is only young. He's 21. And uh, he's been knocking on the door for, for a little while. And he's had to, um, yeah, just um, buy his time. He's, he's been with the Dragon, in the Dragon system for, uh, for uh, two or three years. And um, and they never really uh, committed, although they've showed some signs that never, um, you know, had that, uh, that final commitment. Um, and then out of the blue, um, Melbourne Storm um, gave us a call and said that we're uh, we're really keen on Tyrant. So um, that was a uh, such a uh, just a big um, honour to be even just a phone call because we know that their process and and you look at and everyone talks about um, the Melbourne Storm and their recruitment process and their uh, their coaching and um, and everything else that goes with it to be part of that system and to even just be recognised by the system is a, is a big is a big thing. So. Tyron was uh, was really quick to uh, pack his bags and uh, head down to Melbourne. Although they're up in the uh, the Sunshine Coast now, up at Noosa, so uh, yeah, he's he's really happy. He's just just trying to get us. Uh, oh, he's been part of the system there for a bit and uh, looking for an, uh, an opportunity. I'm sure you've received worse phone calls. <laughs> uh, seriously, out of the blue, and yeah. um, Melbourne, as I said before, their recruitment process is uh, is unlike anyone else um, no disrespect to anyone any other teams but um, to be um, pinpointed by um, by the Melbourne Storm is a, is a big thing so uh, what they saw in Tyron is uh, was, uh, was, was, was something uh, good and hopefully they'll they'll merge to that and I'm sure they will as they do with, um, with, with a lot of their other um, players coming up through the ranks and um, and um, what, a, what a great start for him Mate, just drive, diving into your career now, and uh, if my uh, if my data is right, you made your debut in '89 against the Dragons. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. It's crazy to think it's like a serendipity thing. You made your debut against the Dragons, and then you played your final game for the St George Illawarra Dragons. It's unreal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, if I if I had written the script, I probably would have made a couple of little changes. Maybe. <laughs> win in the last game. <laughs> you could have had a better ending, couldn't you? Yeah, but um, no regrets for me. Um, in, um, uh, 89 with the Illawarra Steelers. Um, I was probably a little bit late. Uh, late bloomer, I guess. Um, I was 20, 20, 21. Had a couple of years at the uh, here at Jeringham, uh, playing grade. And, uh, I said before, I learned a lot. And uh, um, then yeah, the uh, Illawarra Steelers. I went through the sort of um, the country pr- program or, or system. Uh, so Group Seven, uh, Southern Division, um, Country Rugby League, and then um, and then that sort of basically 
um, um, got a, a few other clubs um, aware of what was going on and had a couple of different options that the uh, the Steelers made sense for me. Uh, I could still live in Gerringong and it was just up the road um, and they were making a few uh, changes. They were um, progressing with um, a few of the younger juniors at the Steelers. So there was a real uh, um, chance that the Steelers to play, to play first grade. And to be honest with you, uh, for, for me at that stage, I think just playing first grade uh, or the opportunity to play first grade was that would have been the top of the tree. So um, um, in the, in my first year, I um, I was lucky enough to play uh, a full year in first grade, so it turned out to be a pretty good move for me. And obviously, a dream come true to play first grade, but that first season, uh, you know, a pretty tough season. I've got it here: one win, seventeen losses. Uh, no easy days at the office. Awesome. But seriously, we had um, uh, Ronnie Gildas, he was coach, and they, uh, I think they realised that they uh, had to take a, uh, one step backwards to go uh, a couple forward, uh, and they they recruited, uh, well, there were some, some juniors in the club that was, they had to give them some chances. So there was guys like Brett Rodwell, uh, Neil Pincinelli, uh, Dean Schipoletti, uh, Ian Russell was uh, was been there for for a year or two, um, so there was uh, and then down the track there was uh, uh, Paul McGregor came into it as well. But in that first year in '89, one win was it? Oh, geez, I thought it was two. I thought it was you know two, what? It, we might give you a two. Let's run with it. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the uh, during that season, I'm not sure when you've got it here in your stats, Nathan. But the we. Made the final of the um, what the midweek competition back those days was the Panasonic Cup, and we couldn't put a foot wrong. So we we played uh, the Broncos in the final, and that sort of put us on the map. To be honest, even though we we went poorly through the through the year, it was progression year for us. Um, but I think at the end of the year, um, I think the club realised that the uh, the young uh, kids in the club were called kids. I was one of them. Um, <clears throat> was a uh, it was a year to just put um, under your belt for experience, and uh, we—I think a lot of people knew that in, in years to come um, there'll be some results, and uh, and we did get them in the early nineties. You speak about experience. Only a year later, nineteen ninety, uh, you make your state of origin debut uh, off the back of what I imagine would have been a tough season for you in eighty nine to make your state of origin debut, uh, especially coached by the great Jack Gibson. You mentioned him earlier, obviously a guy that had a huge impact on Mick Cronin. Uh, to now have another Gerringong winger, wing centre come up, a goal kicker, pretty yeah. special yeah. moment. Do you remember that, that first phone call or how did it come about? Um, I, I heard on the um, I heard on the radio. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, and then shortly, just shortly after, um, um, we... Um, um, Bobby Sterling um, gave me a, a call and um, and told me the news and I was and go back to '89. Even though as so we, we we only won uh, one or two games, I I put it under my belt to thinking okay I, I I had a decent season myself and I really realised that um, I could uh, I was I was there um, um, yeah and I was mixing it with with the with the best and I realised. In the back of my head, I, was, I, I, can, I can do this. So, and then progressively, um, it, I just keep on putting the bar up. So the next year in '89, uh, sorry, in '1990, um, was another reasonable year, and then uh, got picked in the, in Origin. And you know, you only look at two years prior. Um, I'm playing with Jerringong, and then it's a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's fairly fast sort of rise up the top. But um, you just take it as you, as, you, as you come. Jack Gibson was a coach. You've got some uh, fantastic players. Then you realise playing Origin is a is a real step above. Then you turn up the training, and the balls are just come at you like faster and crisper, and passes just go right on your chest, and everything's faster. And um, and then you you sort of lift yourself to uh, to rise to occasion as well. So it was um, it was a real good start to uh, an Origin career through the through the nineties. Tell me about Jack Gibson, mate. Uh, obviously, a guy that. Probably the generation before mine, you hear so many stories, so many great sayings that are still being said now, realistically. Tell me about Jack, mate. Yeah, well, in, in Origin, you don't really get to... Um, getting coached at, at club level would be a little bit different. So, um, But Origin was uh, the aura around him and, and, and 
handbook and um, the encouragement that he that he sort of gave you wasn't um, wasn't really intense. But he just you just knew that you'd hang off every word, and um, and you knew that he had confidence in what you could do. And um, yeah, I think just the aura around him, you just really wanted to make sure you played for him. And and there was a it was a really sort of basic game plan that he he, he uh, put together for Origin. Uh, we won that first series too, which was uh, which was nice against uh, against Queensland, and um, so to have that, uh, that small sort of touch of uh, from Jack Gibson was um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a real good honour. And I've uh, since then been uh, coached by some fantastic coaches, particularly with Origin. Obviously, walking into that squad, you said you were playing for Gerringong 18 months before that, or whatever it was, an unbelievable rise. Who was the player in that side that you were the most star-studded by to be around? There was a, there was a few, um, yeah. There was guys like Laurie Daly and, and Bradley Clyde. They were they were similar age to me, but they'd just sort of been there a year or two prior. Um, then there was uh, older sort of guys like Blocker Roach, um, Paul Sirenin, um, that I'd been you know you watch on TV, and they really did they they tuck you under their wing and they they really did look after you and uh, the culture, uh, the team spirit that um, that. Um, New South Wales possessed uh, was was second to none, and I know everyone talks about Queensland how much you know, how much culture and how much team spirit they've got, and they play for their badge. I'm telling you, uh, New South Wales uh, was wasn't any anywhere behind that. I can tell you. And mate, of course yourself, I've got it here. 22 State of Origin games. That must be something that you're incredibly proud of. I mean, there's only three a year to play 22. Damn good knock. Yeah, all I I got a few injuries along the way, but. Um, um, I was um, yeah lucky to play uh, in nine series through that through that period, and uh, New South Wales won six of them. So it was an era that was that was um, oh yeah, I'll cherish for for a long time. And playing Origin is I guess the pinnacle um, of of actually rugby league. Playing for your country I think is the, is the pinnacle of, of, of representing football without a doubt. But um, Origin's where where it all is. Um, Guys, oh, we mentioned Jack Gibson. There was uh, Timmy Shanes and um, um, uh, Gus Bill, of course, and Tommy Rodonikas was um, uh, was the coaches that um, that coached me in Origin. And, and I think Gus was probably uh, I'd have to put it down that he'd be the best coach uh, I'd ever been coached by. Uh, even though it was Origin and it wasn't club level, Gus had the ability to make you feel like you were a real part of the team and and you were, you were there for for a reason. He had um, he, he was a, the ultimate psychologist. He, he made you feel so good about yourself, and you felt like you were you were um, you, you were part of that uh, that that team. Um, and he was technically it was you know there was no one better as well. So uh, I'd have to put him down as being probably one of the, uh, the, the best Origin coach. And he got some great results too during the nineties. Tommy was a little bit of a different story. He made you feel good too. Don't worry. <laughs> but he, in a different, in a different way, he was just completely just passionate, and um, and it wasn't really um, anything about a, a technical game plan or anything like that. It was just driving, playing for your, playing for your badge, playing for your, uh, playing for your teammates, playing for your, um, for your, for your state, and it was all about. You know, you introduced the cattle dog and all sorts of stuff, and even there was a, a period of time when we uh, we went to training and we asked Tom, uh, Tommy, what, uh, what sort of defence do you want, you know, do you want up and in and there was, at that stage there was all different types of defence, up and in, inside out sliding, drifting, he said wait, yeah, yeah. wait there boys this is already, all you got to do is just go up and smash the bastards and and <laughs> to be honest he's, he's spot on and I think there were, sometimes it can be over, over technical, uh, Origin's all about passion and um, and in a lot of times um, yeah, Tommy's just passion was, was unbelievable, second to none it's one thing that I always think about in the modern game, mate, that a lot of these kids, they're just so overcoached nowadays. It's so X's and O's focused. You look at a guy like Wayne Bennett, who's obviously that old school sort of coach, like sometimes less is more, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. So it's just getting that balance right. I know there's, you know, there's a lot of sports science and there's a lot of, you know, all these different different things. But at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple game and um, and you play for your teammates you're, uh, and you Oh, you play, you play with, without making mistakes and you put pressure on and um, hopefully you can score a few tries at the end of the day if, you, if your defence is okay. Yeah, <laughs> pretty. 
<laughs> Mate, uh, obviously you did mention uh, Origin, one of the highest honours, playing for your country, also right up there. Tell me about your Kangaroos debut. Uh, oh, I've just been handed your first green and gold jumper. Um, such an honour. Um, and there was there's a bit of a story behind that. Because um, I was picking the, uh, uh, the second test against um, testing my memory here, mate. Second test, three weeks in 1991. So uh, Australia got beat in the first test, yeah. and they made some changes. So uh, luckily for me, they did make made some changes because I was I was one of them. They put me in the second test, and um, and we beat. And there was a few like guys like Willie Khan. Um, he made the sign. There was uh, three or four others. There were new, new debutants, and we 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 rolled New Zealand pretty well. Um, in the second game and the third. So, scored a try um, and put jumper on in the dressing shed uh, for your country, green and gold, knowing that you're playing for your country. But you can't explain it, mate. So, it was, uh, it was fantastic. And uh, and I was lucky enough to play a few more after that too. So. Yeah, mate, well, just, just having a look at your stats here for the Kangaroos. 18 games, 14 tries. No stranger to uh, the promised land. Uh, yeah, well, help playing uh, alongside some pretty handy players. So, um, and I'll, we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit, a little bit later on, but I played, it was always a bit of a, playing for um, Australia, um, it was even myself, um, Andrew Eddinghausen was a, was a winger, um, Michael Hancock, Willie Kahn are the other wingers, and it was always a, a bit of a fight who was who was going to be on Mount Niggas' side. Um, <laughs> such a good player. And um, for a big bloke too, he had, uh, he had soft hands, he could tip it on and, he could set you up to control. So I was lucky enough to be on outside of, of Mal a couple of times, but um, but it's always uh, always great playing in a in a fantastic side that I was lucky enough to play for Australia. Mate, before we do get to your best thirteen, your dream team, obviously. You know, especially for me, when I think Illawarra Steelers, to be honest with you, I sort of think about your name. You're sort of the player that I picture in that famous jersey. And I know the club meant so much to you. Tell me about the merger that came in the late 90s. When did you first sort of get an idea that this might be a reality? There was there was talk for a long time and um, which clubs um, needed to merge and who were they. And if they did need to merge, who were they going to merge with? Or whether they're going to die out? Steelers were in a situation where there was some um, criteria that um, you had to meet for the, the NRL put together. Uh, there was five or six different things, and uh, I think the, the Steelers met every one of them, except we were probably weren't the most financial club going around. So that was one area that we had to, um, um, you know, um, nip it in the bud and look, look for opportun- other opportunities. So the Dragons, on the other hand, were, were probably the, the opposite. They had the money and, and probably a few other things up. So, in, in the end, it was a bit of a, a natural progression to uh, uh, for the two clubs to meet. And uh, and prior to that, there was a lot of innuendo, a lot of talk, and, and then eventually it all, all came together. And we didn't know as players who was going to who was going to be in this in this team, and who was not. And it, it was a it was a difficult situation. So in the end, we um, a few people obviously made the cut, some did, and um, then we had to merge uh, two uh, cultures together too, which was was quite difficult to be honest. And people probably don't realise how how difficult it is. Or maybe uh, Manly and North Sydney do because that didn't work. And um, and I think clubs with a long history, um, you, we had to with well, with two clubs with long histories, really hard to do. Luckily for I guess for St George that they merged with someone like the Steelers with a I guess a, a younger sort of history, so it was a little bit. We knew that it was um, it was probably better to merge with them because it would take over the uh, St George history and all that as well. But um, um, and it was, as I say, difficult at times. Uh, the players did, did did our bit. There were some times when we thought, "What the hell's going on here?" But we had to bite our tongue and, and did it for the for the um, for the good of the game. To be honest, good good of the club. And um, and it took, oh look, probably the first eight or ten weeks for it to really uh, click together. And I think if you if you've got some stats there, mate, well, I think we lost the first six or eight games in a, in a row. So um, we finally got together and um, and put some wins together and end up making the grand final in the first year. 
Oh, mate, it's unbelievable how, how far you guys went that. So, I mean, even more incredible, the team that you played in that grand final, the Melbourne Storm, uh, you know, two obviously emerged franchise and then just a, a new franchise, which I guess people are so used to the Melbourne Storm being successful. But, mate, I imagine back then putting a team in Melbourne in just the rugby league desert and for them to be successful, it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, without a doubt. Uh, so, yeah, it was... Uh... A little bit for the on on the Illawarra side of things, it was difficult for um, players like myself to have played ten years with the, with the Steelers and and forget about the professional side, um, forget about the money. You personally, you still play for your badge and you still play for your uh, your supporters and your, and your and your team. And it was uh, and it was a little bit uh, harder for for Illawarra side of things to lose, I guess, a, a certain amount of uh, identity. Um, that's what I was trying to say before that um, I think it's, uh, you know, if we had to compare ourselves with identity, with the, with the Dragons, we are going to, uh, St. George, we are going to lose anyway. So it's, um, we just had to accept that that's the way it was. And um, and the Red V is, it's, it's, you know, it's an integral part of sport in, in Australia, to be honest. Did you know that that season was going to be your last season when it started? Or when did you make that decision? Uh, it probably... Uh, three quarters of the way through, to be honest. Um, I had a, I had uh, hamstring problems for two or three years prior to that, and uh, physically, I reckon I had another season to go. Uh, my contract was finished. It was um, it, it, it was difficult, um, and people had to make difficult decisions as well. And uh, so, I think um, you know the, the Dragons had. Well, on the wing, we had Nathan Blacklock, we had uh, uh, Jamie Ainsco, two you know outstanding wingers. So there, some decisions had to had to be made, and um, I could see the writing on the wall, to be honest. And um, I, I thought it was probably time. And I looked at different options. I looked at going over to England, and uh, but we had four little kids at that stage, and we had four in four years too. So it was it would have been a little bit tough, not probably for me, but. More. When I was out, you know, training or playing over in England, and my wife was all she could see was just looking at looking after four kids. But uh, we did set the bar up pretty high, and we thought well, that might be an opportunity, but um, opportunities didn't come. And uh, then uh, I guess it just became a um, decision that just uh, progressed anyway. Mate, tell me about that grand final day. Uh, a moment in rugby league history that will never be forgotten. One of, one of, if not the most controversial moment, probably in rugby league history. Uh, do you remember that moment when that try went up? I imagine you do. I'm probably bringing up nightmares here, but explain to me the feelings around that moment. Oh, look, um, the uh, let's go back uh, because in the in the first half uh, we we had them we had them rolled, um, and then a few things happened. Uh, in the second half, we all uh, can probably put a hand up, myself included. A few mistakes that uh, that just tipped the the momentum, and it's the pendulum swung. So, um, and it all uh, sort of hinged on this one on this one uh, cross kick bomb. <laughs> and I, if I was Jamie Ainsco, I probably would have done the exact same thing. Yep. And um, it was a difficult situation for him to be in. And um, and, and a split-second decision. To, to And I don't know if he would have been able to change the, the result anyway. But um, end of the day, uh, it is uh, what it is. And then they uh, obviously got a penalty um, penalty try out of it. And they win the game. And um, and, and the rest is history. But um, I haven't really seen much of the game, to be honest. <laughs> it comes on the bloody box all the time. And I have to change the channel. Throw the TV out. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, it was, um, oh, look, you're trying to find some positives and uh, to, to have your last game being in a grand final, uh, it could have been worse. It couldn't have not played in a grand final at all. And, it was, um, and that was my last game. And um, I look back and think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to change anything. I don't regret anything. And, uh, and it's, just, it's just the way it, the way it was. But now, now the sirens went with the storm. I'm, I'm a real storm supporter now anyway. <laughs> Well, mate, I was just thinking that. I mean, we, we mentioned before your first ever game was for Illawarra. Your last game was for St. George yeah. Illawarra against Melbourne. Now he's down there. It's it's funny how this stuff happens in rugby league, seemingly continuously. I know. Oh, no, it's unbelievable. Uncanny. 
Mate, uh, let's dive into this dream team. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. This will be a fantastic history lesson for a lot of my listeners. Uh, mate, your fullback is one of the most exciting guys our game has ever seen, the Green Greyhound, uh, Brett Mullins. Tell me about him, mate. Well, Brett Mullins um, was just a natural uh, rugby league player. He was uh, he was tall, he was lean, and he was, he was quick. And um, he could do some things on the field that I've just never seen. Um, he just moved so fast. Sweetly across the across the ground, he was playing with a, a pretty good uh, side at the, at the Raiders. It was basically a, a representative side in itself. But um, um, I've always remember um, Brett Mullins as being just one of those players that was so gifted. And um, uh, I, I, there were some contenders. Um, there was, I guess, um, Gary Jack was finishing as as I was sort of starting. Uh, it was Gary Belcher was the, was the same. There were two great um, fullbacks. Timmy Brasher was about the same era as me, and I think he'd be... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It'd be a close second as well, but um, but I I have, I have to go. Um, Brett Mullins because he was just just that natural ability he had. For, for most people, the standout moment and a moment that will never be forgotten in rugby league was the chip over the top try, the double chip over the top. I just... <laughs> we'll just never see anything like that again, will we? I guess that's... Uh, um, what you see it a, a few times from, from players, they, um, um, they just back themselves yeah. and they just do what they, they feel is what they can do. And he's one of, one of them. And... Um, I, I, you know, I've got any encouragement for anyone to they just back themselves to do what uh, what they feel they can do. Brett Mullins, um, a name would come up for sure. I think as well, it's a really underrated part of his career that, of course, you know, his former halfback, Ricky Stewart, he chased him to come to the Roosters in 2002 and he added a heap of experience to that team. And, of course, he went out a champion in 2002 and I think he set up the first try as well. So uh, an unbelievable career from Brett Mullins. Yeah, no, most definitely. So, uh, as I say, there's a few uh, that would um, it was a, it was a close call, but um, yeah, if, if, if the young listeners want to do Brett Mullins, they're going to see some pretty good stuff. Mate, speaking of some pretty good stuff, uh, your wingers, some pretty handy players. Let's start with Willie Kahn, mate. Uh, uh, my early memories of Willie Kahn, obviously playing at the Broncos, very destructive winger. And as you said, uh, there would have been a bit of contest between you guys for a number of uh, Kangaroos jerseys over the years. Yeah, yeah. So we're about the same age, and um, and and along with uh, with Michael Hancock as well, they're both Broncos um, wingers, and um, and it was really hard to split the both of them. Actually, Michael Hancock probably got the start on on the jump on on Willie. He um, played representative football probably earlier, and two different sort of players. Uh, my, uh, Mickey Hancock was a he was tough. He was uh, he was hard to tackle. And um, it was a, it was an extra forward, um, but Willie was uh, a little bit more gifted on uh, in, on the attack side of things as well. He could uh, he could drift and it's still a little Brett Mullins in, in a way. Um, he could float around the field and he'd pop up wherever uh, wherever you don't want him to uh, pop up as well. Uh, he had speed and uh, we had some some gap tussles over the years, uh, particularly with those two players, uh, Willie and Mickey Hancock. And but I just think. Um, uh, Willie just gets the edge over, over Mick on that one. Mate, speaking of talented with the ball in hand, your other winger, Andrew Eddinghausen, uh, I, I often think, and, you know, we obviously had Josh Morris. He, he's from the town next door to you guys, Kayama. He announced his retirement the other day, and I, I sort of look back at the career of Josh Morris, and, you know, obviously he's he's considered as one of the best we've seen, but not winning a premiership, it does sort of hold guys back to some extent. And I think Andrew Eddinghausen, he might be the biggest victim of that of all time. I think he is criminally underrated. You know, he was the best fullback, centre or winger, depending on what position you picked him in, in just about any side. An unbelievable player. Yeah, yeah. And a champion bloke to go with it as well. He's a, he's a good clubman. Um, he played all his, all his career with the... Uh, um, 
Sharks and uh, just and I, and I roomed with him uh, quite a bit as well. He was always encouraging, uh, always gave um, gave his all uh, on the field and off the field as well. But as, as far as speed uh, is concerned, and just being being there when you when you need him, um, training, uh, he just doesn't miss a beat as well. And uh, he just had to be in the in the side for, uh, in my side for, for sure, one way or another. And as you say, he can play multiple positions. I've had him on the I had him on the wing. He could play play fullback easily. He could play in the centres easily. He could put him in at five eighty if you want him to. But um, um, but yeah, he's, he's, in a modern day now, if, if he was playing, he he wouldn't miss a beat either. Yeah, if you needed a poster boy, he he wouldn't go too bad either. I remember being in a well, I've, I've roomed with him in the kangaroos. And um, and would wake up in the morning and uh, I'd have a look at myself in the mirror and put a, a beanie on and he'd look over the mirror and he wouldn't have a, a hair out of place. You know, <laughs> a attractive bloke going around, so uh, it made me feel very ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, I, I think you'd, you'd fit in with the vast majority of us there. There's not many in his class, that's for sure. Mate, let's move to your centres. And uh, one guy you've already mentioned, Mal Meninga. Uh, you said when you were playing for the Kangaroos, there'd be a couple of stinks over who got to stand outside him. Uh, obviously, an immortal of our game, an absolute juggernaut. I imagine a few times playing for New South Wales, looking over the other side of the park and seeing a guy like him. Must have been uh, pretty intimidating. Yeah, well, I think in a lot of times, you would, um, if you played against Mal Meninga, all you want to do is just try and keep him quiet. Don't upset him. Just let him, just let him play because... I'll tell you what, if he gets in a mood, he can. He was uh, he was so destructive. Um, but the thing I liked about Mal off the field, he was the he was the captain of the uh, the Australian um, Kangaroo Tour in '94. I can't think of a bloke that would in, um, embrace with the whole team and, and makes you feel part of a group. Um, for a for a skipper to, to do that um, is uh, is a good thing as well. Because on the field. Uh, he's, he's such a leader, and um, and then then you've got his ability on top of that as well. Um, so he's destructive, but at the same time he's got soft hands. Um, he can just tap it on um, um, uh, as if, if needed. He didn't need to be the one that just goes through the tackle and try and offload. He just saw opportunities, and that's why it was always a race to see who could uh, be uh, on the wing outside of mouth. But. Um, uh, yeah, an immortal, so he should be, uh, and a, a real champion. Mate, it, it doesn't shock me that he was good on the 94 tour. I mean, I think that was his fourth kangaroo tour. He definitely knew his way around one. Yeah, no, without a doubt. So, uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of good centers, but uh, not, not, not in his class. And I, I wouldn't say by far, but he's, he's the most outstanding um, person and player that I've played with in my career. Mate, you're, uh, his centre partner you've gone with, Mary McGregor, I think that uh, people have probably forgotten just how much of a talented footballer he was. His name has sort of been dragged through the mud a little bit over the last few years, but once again, I think it's forgotten just how good he was. No, you forget about the coaching side of things. Um, and and, and, and to be honest, being a coach is, uh, is, is a difficult situation too. He can coach and he knows he's a student of the game, he knows what's going on, but... Um, but as far as playing is, was concerned, I was, you know, we, we played for years for, at the Steelers. Um, I've seen Mary do things on the field that I've never seen people do. And he glides. Uh, I've said that before, but because he, he was so tall, his, uh, his uh, one step would go like two metres. So he, 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 and he had a great step, both, both legs as well. And to follow him around was a pretty hard thing to do. Yeah, in one step, he could move three or four metres. And um, so uh, we had a great combination. And um, and I think, yeah, people probably don't realise that I think there's a few other players that get the credit for doing the old um, out the back door. Um, I, would, I would back Mary McGregor as being the first to really master that, to be honest, in the early 90s. So um, he doesn't get the credit. He didn't get the credit for that. And um, and if you watch a lot of his footage, uh, you'll see him do that. He'll go to the line, he'll, he'll take it, and most of the time I'm there waiting for it as well. And um, and we're, between the two of us, we've um, we're lucky enough to yeah score some tries. And and apart from that, and maybe a little bit of bias because he's one of the best mates. Uh, but I, I'm um, 
I'll look at some of the games that he's played and think, wow, um, no one else can do what, what, what just happened just then. Mate, speaking of doing things that no one else can, uh, your halves. Now, these are obviously two guys you toured with on the 95, in, in the 95 World Cup, sorry, and could do things on the field and off the field that no one else could do. We'll start with your 5'8", and I think he's he's probably the best all-round footballer I think I've ever seen. He could be the best 13-6 centre. I mean, he could have handed himself in the back row. Tell me about Freddie Fitler, mate. Freddie was uh, right from a, um, a young age. You, you just knew that. Um, he uh, he was a complete footballer, and um, when the the hard stuff needed to happen, um, coming out of your own off your own line in Origin, when it's tough, he'll always be there. Um, when it's time to attack the line and you need you need some uh, finesse, um, he he's, uh, he's got it. Uh, he was the most complete footballer going going around without a doubt, and um, yeah, I think there was um, there was a you know there's, there's a, there's a Few good five eights back in back in that day. Uh, Laurie Daly, one of them. We'll talk about him a little little bit later. But um, but he just nudges um, Laurie to the five eight position, and um, I think Freddie and, and now he's I think he's really come in tune with um, with that with that coaching as well and what it takes to uh, nurture nurture players and even the with the Origin level you uh, you don't want to overcomplicate things as well and he just gets a good group of people together and. And play as a, as a as a team, so he's he's doing that quite well. And um, so yeah, couldn't go past Freddie. Mate, tell me about your seven. Joey John's a pretty popular pick as far as these dream teams go, and Immortal himself. And uh, I, I guess a lot of the footy that you would have played with Joey, he actually would have played uh, hooker in quite a bit of those games. But uh, for me, probably the best, oh, definitely the best seven I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, and there were some good sevens uh, in the early or late. 80s and early 90s, um, Alan Langer was uh, was was going to be um, in the picture as well. Uh, Ricky Stewart, both um, at halfback, different players because Ricky bought the long pass. Uh, he bought the kicking game, the spiral, the spiral um, punt. Um, Ricky bought that in, into the into the game, I believe, and, and and to the point where I mean, Wally Lewis is a good spiral pass, no doubt, but Ricky really just both ways and with some speed and and and, um, and precision, it was second to none. So, and then you had Adam Langer, who was so tricky. I mean, um, he his kicking game, short kicking game, was the best along the ground grubber, uh, cross cross field little chip. Um, he was always around, um, and he was tough as well. He was tough as teeth. His defences probably wasn't the most traditional uh, defender. He'd get you down, and he will. He'd give you a nudge at the same time. <laughs> so um, those are both competitive, but um, but then you you see Andrew Johns just took everything to a to the next level. He had the passing, he had the kicking, he had the he had the kick, he had the, he, he had everything. So and he had the uh, I guess the uh, the competitiveness that you'd really want in a player as well. So um, uh, no doubt. It was pretty easy to pick um, Joey number seven, mate. Most Kangaroos teams are pretty confident they're, they're going to win most games, of course. But mate, that that ninety five World Cup to have Joey and Freddie in the same team, you must have been hyper confident. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, but, um, yeah, you, you go on uh, run on the field when you've got two two guys like that. It just gives you uh, you boost your confidence. Their game management is uh, probably we didn't touch on. Yeah, you realise that Andrew knew exactly what to do it, but he didn't get over overawed. And uh, and Freddie was, uh, was was similar, so you you, <clears throat> you felt really confident even when you were uh, even maybe slightly behind on the scoreboard or or anything like that because you knew that they they managed the, the team really well. But let's move into your forward pack and uh, the two front rowers you've gone for. The first one is Glenn Lazarus and. Uh, for me, I, I can't wait to hear, hear, hear your opinion on him. Obviously, a guy that he was at three or four clubs. He won premierships at all of them. The Melbourne Storm, uh, obviously being the franchise they are now, he was the original building block they built from. Tell me about Lazo. Um, he was a machine. So um, I think he's, I'm not sure whether it's available or whatever. I'd love to see that like they, they, they give these days because uh, – and. For a big bloke, you could get you get off off the ground so quickly and get a quick play the ball. And 
stuff like that doesn't get recognised too much as well. And he'll always be there. He's always he was always moving. And then when you think, because he's a big he was a big unit, and uh, but he could he travelled the uh, uh, the distance as well. And just when you think right up, where's the where's the front row? He, he was going to be there. So um, tough um, offload, just just complete. You couldn't just uh, put a shot on him either. And uh, and he always back you up if, if you if you need. Normally front rowers and wingers didn't really get on, but uh, I got on really well with Lazo. He protected everyone, even wingers. So I've got to give him points for that. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, your other front rower. Uh, Paul Harrigan, uh, one of the best players, one of the best front rowers we've ever seen, without a doubt. One of the most intimidating characters in our game. You mentioned Lazarus, a great leader. I have no doubt Chief, he fit in the same category. Thanks, no. um, Yeah, Chief is um, yeah, one of those guys you just feel like you've been, you're in the trenches with the, the Blakey one next year, without a doubt. And uh, and it's pretty well documented, some of the uh, the blues that are um, uh, in, in origin, he's always hard. <laughs> Starting or, or protecting his mates, and, um, but um, when you want a game uh, in the balance and you need someone to put his hand up, um, Chief's always got his hand up. And uh, as, as far as training was fit, he was uh, he was for a big bloke. He was quite athletic, so um, he could move around the field as well. And uh, so, yeah, uh, and just a little side note as well: Chief and I are the same age. Um, him and I made the New South Wales. Primary school, what do you thought? So we tour uh, up to uh, up to Queensland. It was a, you know even to this day, it was probably one of the highlights of my life. Going on a, as, a, as a twelve-year-old kid, going on a tour uh, representing New South Wales. We played at Lancaster too, and um, beat by Queensland. <laughs> I shouldn't mention that, but anyway, our trip was there. So uh, we played a lot of football together, and um, yeah, as I say, I'm glad. I've been in the trenches with him a few times. Mate, Gunji ahead. Have you had to pick one of these two front rowers to be your bodyguard? Which one are you taking? <laughs> I'd, probably, I'd probably pick Chief, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably pick Chief. Yeah. Hard choice, though. Yeah, mate, uh, let's move to your hooker, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, of course, you've chosen your team essentially of guys that you played with, which I absolutely love. Cameron Smith has been in the nine in every other team, but I can't wait to hear about backdoor Benny. For me, I think he's probably the first hooker that had the mind of a halfback. I, I love watching the old highlights of him. Tell me about Benny. Yeah, he was just the old competitor. Um, Ability-wise, yeah, he did some things that was uh, uh, were unique to, to Ben. And uh, he ducked under ta- uh, tackle. Big, he wasn't a big fella, um, but he put his body on the line all the time as well. He used to just keep getting up, but he was always there. Um, and as far as hookers are concerned, I think he probably nearly pioneered the whole um, always backing up on the inside. Benny was always there. And um, I think for, um, uh, for me... Um, and we played a fair bit of Origin as, as well together. I think he, he typified uh, what Origin was all about right, right at the start as well. And he uh, and I know he played all his football with the with the Tigers. He's very passionate, and uh, I learned a fair bit from uh, from Benny just from his um, I don't know just his um, the way he sort of carries himself and uh, passion that he uh, uh, provides for his for his club and his team and, uh, and his, you know, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I don't think he gets anywhere near enough credit for how he changed um, the hooker position during his career. Like, you look at the guys that were the top-shelf hookers before him, sort of in that Roycey Simmons kind of mould. It really was, He really did just blow up the structures and, and do it his own way, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And you'll see, if you look at highlights, you'll see a lot of breaks by Benny because he had that dummy, he had that dummy and run, and he, uh, he, he made a lot of breaks up on the inside where he lacked uh, what he lacked in, I guess, in pace, uh, he made up with it in other areas as well because he could read the game really well. And he knew that the, the players that he, he um, backed up um, with, uh, he just was there all the time as well. So, and uh, if you want a niggly sort of bloke that just sort of really intimidated the other side, he's probably the guy you want in the team as well. And, mate, obviously he had a bit of niggle in his game, and I have no doubt it's because he had this bloke backing him up a lot of the time, Paul Sirenen. Tell me about Siro. 
Yeah, just a uh, just an all rounder. Um, I don't know. He's just one of those blokes, as I said before. It's very similar to after the front rowers. Um, he's just always there, and um, and that's what you want in your in your forward pack. And he's always an offload. He's, um, and uh, as far as the clubman is concerned, um, I look back at the uh, origin and and the in the Australian uh, teams that I was in, and, and normally Ciro was uh, was there. Yeah, he built, he brought people together. He was funny. He was, um, but when it came to being serious about training or playing, he was, he was there. And uh, he was just a, uh, an all-round clubman that you would really want in your, in your team as well. But a massive, he was a giant. He was a gentle giant, sir. And uh, uh, so, but when it comes to the tough stuff, geez, yeah, he, was, he was there as well. Mate, partnering Paul Sheeran in the back row, you've gone for Bobby Linder, who I think is another guy that is criminally underrated. And I, I think it's forgotten that he, he did play that season uh, with you uh, at, at the Illawarra Steelers. Yep. Tell me about Bobby. So he, he sort of changed. Uh, he played a lot of uh, he played a lot of tests for, for Australia. And he, he probably flew under the radar because I think every every coach um, would want to have Bobby Linder in their team to be able to do all the work that, you know, um, just clean up work, and, and Bobby was was always that. He was a, he was an athlete as well. He could move across the, the ground really well. Um, his defence was uh, you know perfect. There was not, nothing wrong with that. But he said he was always um, he was always being there with with the pack as well. Um, so he spent some time at the Illawarra Steelers, and he bought a uh, being a sort of older sort of uh, guy when he came to the Steelers, bought a, uh, a lot of professionalism and. Um, and just a um, just a humble fella too, and I and I I, I really give credit for, for guys that just do all the work and everything, and they just don't look for credit. And he he's sort of one of those blokes who just does the job. Um, really nice bloke off the field, and, um, and I, I've got a, a soft spot because I have probably played played a, a, a couple of years at the at the Steelers, but I played against him with Origin, um, but I was lucky enough to play with him in the Australian side as well. So. Yeah, Bobby Lidner, um, great on the field, better even off. Mate, it's incredible to look at his career. I'm having a look at it now. He played less than 100 first grade, first grade games in Australia, but he played 25 games for the Kangaroos and 25 for Queensland. That just says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I think if you've if you got people to um, choose their you know, top top five guys for Queensland or maybe top ten, um, I don't know how many people, unless they were in tune, with what, what was going on, or they, or they played Origin, the door they played with Bobby. Um, not many people. He flew under the radar, so uh, <clears throat> just want to make sure he doesn't. He gets the credit he deserves. Oh mate, he's he's one of those guys that I think you know you would always think about when you think Queensland. But I think he's one of those guys. If you ask the modern generations, you know what team did he play for? I'm not sure how many would be able to answer. He he is just he's just straight away always linked to the Queensland Maroons, which is the ultimate compliment yeah. to him. Yeah. Mate, uh, let's yeah. move to your lock forward. And, uh, you know, a couple of guys on this list that are immortals, a couple of guys that potentially could be, and I think this guy, he definitely fits into that category. The best 13 we've ever seen, Bradley Clyde. Uh, we've played met people that, um, you know, he's similar age to me. Played all the way through the through the 90s, uh, um, late 80s as well. Um, so... The, you know, there's a handful of guys that are athletic enough and would would just uh, fit into the into the game right now. Brad Clyde's one of them, without a doubt. Uh, he was a, he was an athlete, and um, uh, if you could put him in at five eight, you could put him in the centre, you could put him in the front row, and he wouldn't miss a beat either. And um, just the best all round player um, um, that. You know, I you just say had to say had to, had to have him in, in the side without a doubt. Playing Origin or even for Australia as a uh, as a winger, our role was to uh, when they the other opposite side kicked the uh, downfield, we'd get the ball and we'd run it back. But Clyde was that um, his work ethic is that good. Um, we were trying to get him to run it on the wing. And Clyde said, No, 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 I'll take this one. He was just. <laughs> And ethic was just unbelievable. So, um, for, and he was big. And he was big enough as well. So, uh, uh, yeah, Bradley Clyde was just a just a machine all around, and um, and a top bloke to go with it. I think the number one thing that stands out to me, especially when you see these old tapes, the amount of times, as you said, he'd take the first or second hit up, 
Then he'd take the fourth hit up. Then he'd make the first two yeah. tackles of the next set. Just, yeah. uh, it's one of the greatest motors we've ever seen in rugby league. I think. Yeah, I think I would. I would just would think there's a lot of people after uh, after him in the next generation would have uh, they would have seen uh, Bradley Clyde and model themselves around that, or their coach would have said, "Right, look at this guy. Just do what he does," and um, and he just did it because. Um, oh, I'm sure he was well coached, but um, he just did it because he's, he's uh, uh, that was the way uh, the way he was brought brought up. You know, he was, uh, he was his ethic was fantastic, and he could hit a gap as well. He could throw a pass and put someone in a gap as well. Um, but when, as I said before, in a, in a few other occasions with these these guys I've named, um, they um, they yeah they, they wouldn't miss a beat in any in any situation like that. I think Brad Clyde's one of the guys, he, he's incredibly underrated as well because he hasn't really stayed in the public eye of rugby league. He, he's a bit like Brett Kennedy to me. I think two guys that could be immortals tomorrow, but they just haven't yeah. stayed at the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, without a doubt. Yeah. So he sort of rounds off the uh, my, my top 13. Um, but it was a really difficult situation being to try and uh, choose 13 players to play with and against... Um, so many uh, fantastic players. Who are some of the guys that didn't make this team? Because I have a lot of people when they're making their 13, they say, oh, can I pick a bench? And I go, nah, it's cutthroat. Ah. You've got to make some tough decisions here. So who was the hardest guys to leave out, mate? All right. So uh, uh, Laurie Dale, we spoke about him early. Um, a competitor um, with, with everything you want in a regular league player. Um, passion, hope, um, commitment, off the field, on the field, the whole lot. Um, so, yeah, he was um, he was a hard guy to to, to, to leave out. But um, I'm going to put him on the bench. Uh, Steve Mendy, um, obvious reasons. Uh, he he was he was always there. Um, scored so many tries. He's a um, you know the sixth sense that he that he had to follow the ball and where it would be and um, and not in that situation too. So many um, so many tries. David Gillespie. Um, he was, uh, as a winger, I used to get into dummy half a little bit and do a little bit of work. And there wasn't too many guys I used to look at and think, wait, I'm going to run, I'm going to run the other way. But you'd see David Gillespie and you think, no, I'm not going your way, I'm going the other. He hit, he hit hard. Uh, he was a, um, a forward that you just, uh, say, so, so aggressive. And, uh, but as I've said before with a lot of these other players as well, great feet, great clubman. And, um, he was, um, he was so good to have around, and particularly in Origin as well. Mate, one of those guys you mentioned, Steve Menzies, uh, you know, I, I, I was having a look at his numbers the other day, and I mean, he was the rookie of the year and the second row of the year in 94. And the day he left the NRL in 2008, if you would have picked him as the Kangaroo second row, and no one would have batted an eyelid, an unbelievable career. Yeah, yeah. I think in 84, like I was just probably out of primary school as well, and then I, um, Picked him a first origin. I'm playing, playing with David Gillespie and uh, watch Origin game, and he was, uh, you know, because you, you watch Origin for physicality and and, and obviously Dave, his name cement was uh, of, of his reasons. His defence was just um, that way, and yeah, he's been around for a long time. And um, as I said, he's uh, he's um, he's a good clubman as well. So that's. Um, uh, that goes into the whole thing as well. So my last guy, mate, I played um, a lot of football with as well, was Trent Barrett. Yeah. And he was, um, he was an all-round player as well. And uh, I remember when I was at the Illawarra Steelers in the uh, mid-90s, um, and respect with, with our inside backs, um, we um, we never really had a um, uh, a player, a 5'8", or a halfback to really... Um, Come up a situation and say, right, let's do this. This is what we've our game management, right? So, Barrett um, made his first grade debut. I'm playing on the wing. We're attacking the line. There's a bit of uh, indecision in a few areas. So, I've gone in and said, see what I can do. And Trent's saying, hey, wish you <laughs> your wing. <laughs> we take one this way, we're going to come back your way. Oh, fantastic. That was this. We've got a guy that really has got some direction and some. Um, and some management about the team, and uh, uh, he was he was great for the Laura Steelers. Uh, obviously played for New South Wales and, and uh, Australia as well. 
Uh, and we talk about coaching a little bit as well. I really hope he really makes it a case because I know that he's got the ability. He's just got to just um, uh, tweak a couple of things and hopefully the Bulldogs uh, uh, come good. But um, hopefully he's like the dumb. Fantastic player, and I, um, I just couldn't leave, leave him out of the top 17. I think with Trent as well, mate, I call it the um, Stuart McGill syndrome. I just think he came along at a really tough time to be a 5'8 in rugby league. I think him and Matty Johns, very unlucky to come along the same time as guys like Freddie, obviously Joey in the seven, but mainly Brad Fittler, Laurie Daly. It was a tough time to be a good six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've got it out. So. Um, but he, uh, he still, you look at his career, and he played a fair bit of rep footy. And uh, looking back, he's um, had a fantastic career. Mate, uh, I really do appreciate your time today. Uh, hopefully when the world returns to normal, I'll be down there in Gerringong. We can catch up for a beer. I'm, uh, I'm very jealous of you down there, just quietly. You know where I live, mate. You can knock on the door. Don't even knock on the door. Just come up to the balcony. No, you won't be able to get rid of me soon. Don't worry. <laughs> no worries, mate. Mate, I really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 